Lord, your word is alive. It meets us today right where we're at. It meets these people in this moment, in this place, this building, by your sovereign ordination. You have brought each person. You have placed them in the seat that they're in. You have prepared these words to come from me in the power of your Holy Spirit at work to land in hearts and minds and souls. Father, change us today. Teach us today. We're, we're hungry for your word. We, we want to hear from you. We want to grow. We want to glean this grace and this wisdom that you have prepared for us. Find our hearts tilled and ready, receptive to your word. Focus us, Father, that we may uh, grow and, 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 and leave more holy and more Christ-like than when we came. We love your work. We love Jesus, your Son, and we pray now that you would be honored and glorified in this time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I titled the sermon, My Soul Magnifies the Lord. And part of what we're covering today is what is traditionally referred to as the Magnificat. And uh, it's Mary's song, her song of, of, of rejoicing and jubilation for what God has done. I love coming to this, uh, these verses in the coming weeks outside of Christmas. I think sometimes we get in the routine of Christmas and the traditions and all of the trappings and the look and the lights and, and, and it's easy for the verses to become somehow uh, just a part of that. And what I have found as we've studied uh, together so far is these verses are powerful. And they don't need a holiday to, to meet us in, in, uh, in tremendous clarity and power. And so uh, it's exciting for me that we're going to be journeying through Luke 1 and 2 uh, outside of the holiday season. And I'm praying that as we move through these verses, then Christmas will mean even more this year. And when you hear these verses read, I'm, I'm praying that the context of these verses will ring out. I want to begin by just covering the first few verses here. I titled them Mary and the Messenger. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in, of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Okay, so just pause there for a second. I know it's hard because there's more verses, but we're going to get there. Don't worry. Now, we are introduced to a couple of people here, but the very beginning says this, in the sixth month, and you have to stop and say, well, of what? Are we talking of the year here, or is this a, a time frame type of thing? What I believe is this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, okay? So the promise has come to uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth as we journeyed last week, and she is uh, old and barren, and she is going to have a baby, and now she is with child. She's six months in. So the angel Gabriel goes, and all of that takes place that we saw last week, and then six months go by while that baby in her womb grows, John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, to be clear. He wasn't part of the Baptist denomination, uh, although he may have been, I don't know. He liked baptizing, and so that's the label, John the Baptist. So six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, 
we find the Ga that Gabriel is sent now again. And he's sent to the city of Nazareth in Galilee. We got to go there. We were there, so let me show you a few of our pictures just to put this in, uh, in your mind so you know where we're at. You see near the Sea of Galilee up here, if you go just west and a little bit south, right over here is Nazareth. And uh, it's a beautiful kind of rolling hill area. The city is much bigger now than it used to be. But this is the hill uh, upon which Nazareth was built. And so it's good to be reminded when you see places like this, this is a real place. There's dirt there. And there's one less rock there than there was before I visited because I took a rock home. Okay, right up on this hill, uh, it's called the precipice over Nazareth. Um, Jesus, I'm quite sure, this being his hometown, would have been hiking all around these hills and, and enjoying the, the beauty and the look of these uh, surroundings. We sat and had a Sunday morning worship service right there looking out. So if you can picture this, Nazareth is right back here behind us, and we are looking out over the valley of Megiddo toward uh, the Mediterranean Sea. And so that's where we got to have church. But we're talking real place, real people uh, in a real-time event. Angel Gabriel was sent to Nazareth. Now, the other thing to remember about Nazareth is it was not a significant, significant place. In fact, the joke was running back in the day. We read in, in the first chapter of John, can anything good come from Nazareth? It was looked upon with disdain. At, nothing significant would happen there, right? It's just like the Lord to say, that's exactly where I'm going to work. That is where I'm going to do uh, this amazing thing. And so he sends Gabriel to go to Nazareth. Now, let's look a little more about some of these things we learn from Mary. And what I'm doing is I'm reaching uh, from other passages to give us a feel for who this woman is. Mary is a virgin. It means that she has not had sexual relations with any man, including Joseph, who she is betrothed to. Now, she's also a young teenager, and we just have this in our minds, and we just assume Mary, probably mid-20s, right? That's when most people get married. Not so in this time. In this time, it was very common for these arranged marriages to be taking place uh, for ladies who were in their uh, early to mid-teens. And so guests somewhere between 14, 16 years of age, uh, she was not old. She was poor. There was not wealth. Uh, she didn't grow up in an affluent home. Uh, she was quite ordinary in that sense. Uh, her hometown was Nazareth, which was, again, like I said, not, not a significant place. She was, in fact, from the line of David, so uh, in the line of Judah, uh, one of the descendants of David, but not in the royal line because it's David's son, Nathan, okay? So you do have a lineage that's significant. We're going to see that as we move on. But I wanted to put that in because it's important for us to see the connection here. Jesus was both of the line of Judah by blood and by his birthright as uh, the son of uh, Mary and Joseph, okay? Which we're going to see more about in a uh, in this slide, actually, right here. So she's betrothed to Joseph, it says in verse 27, who was of the house of David. This is significant. This is the royal line. It, his line traces through Solomon, the, the, the son of David. 
uh, whose mother was, any guesses, remember? Bathsheba. Okay, so there's some scandal already in the line and the lineage. And Matthew 1 actually builds that out as they trace the names. So betrothed to Joseph. Isn't that the same as engaged, right? Isn't it, see how easy it is for, just, for us to assume these things? It's not at all the same. Betrothal in a Jewish practice was totally different than engagement like we know it today. Let me give you a little feel on this. It's called kiddushin, and uh, it was arranged by the bridegroom uh, or his parents with the father of the bride. Not at all like the way we think of things. This was a, a, a contract drawn up. And in, in many of these situations, maybe the bride was asked, but uh, not really valued, you know, what do you think of this guy? It wasn't, that, it wasn't like that. They would arrange these marriages. And the groom may have some input and feedback, but for the most part, this was a, a contract written up by the parents, secured by a bride price uh, to, to make it a formal contract, and it was legally binding, which it carried such significance that in order to dissolve a betrothal, uh, a kiddushin, you had to get a divorce. Um, so it's, a, it, it's not like we think about engagement here. Now, the groom, this is, I put this in because I just couldn't help it. When this formal contract was presented and it was put in place, the groom would go to his betrothed and he would say, this is what we've done. This is the price that's been paid. Your parents have agreed. And uh, the timeline is uncertain. But, but while you wait, I will go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that amazing? The groom and the bride. What he would be doing as he was preparing this place is building on an addition to his father's home. They lived in kind of communal family dwellings, and so the, the son would most often build a wing onto the home of his father and kind of prove himself. He had to show that he was man enough to take this responsibility on, to provide for and protect and put a covering for this young lady. And when the, the father and the parents were convinced that it was ready and it was good enough, then at a, at a moment unknown to the bride, the groom would be sent and it was on. The wedding feast would take place. Now, doesn't that just blow your mind because of how Jesus has promised a return at a time that we don't know and he's going to prepare a place for us so that we will be with him and live happily ever after. This is very Jewish. Very Jewish. During this period of time, period of waiting, which we find ourselves in right now, the bride especially and the groom were to show fidelity, faithfulness, loyalty to one another. This is the situation that Mary is in. It's likely a full year that this would last. And so Mary is betrothed to Joseph, and she is, one of the most important things during this period of time is to show faithfulness and loyalty and, uh, you know, not get pregnant. That's not on the list of approval. Okay, so let's, let's move on. Verse 28, the angel Gabriel came and said to her, Greetings, O favored one. 
the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So as often when, hap- when, when Gabriel shows up, people are troubled and uh, in, in, in fear. In fact, Daniel, we saw when he faced Gabriel, even this morning in Sunday school, he thought he was a dead man. He fell on his face, terrified. Gabriel goes to this teenage young woman and says this to her. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And Mary is just like, okay, first of all, I'm still alive. This guy's extremely fierce, and, and I'm trying to take this up. But what does that mean? O favored one, the Lord is with me. Remember, 400 years of silence have just been shattered six months before this, but a long distance from where Mary is. And so this is not a common thing. This is not a a normal, oh, sure, there's an angel talking to me. This is new. She didn't know what to make of it. And so we read on. Verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, which is the customary introduction by Gabriel. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And just consider this. Often we think, as we read this, that, well, there was something in Mary that drew God's attention to her, right? Doesn't that seem kind of how this reads? You have found favor with God. Because you are so impressive, God couldn't help but come and send me and choose you. That is the opposite of what is happening here. And... For those who are a part of a tradition of Roman Catholic Church, this is where things go haywire. Totally wrong. The suggestion here is built out, I don't know where they get this, but that somehow Mary is sinless and draws God's attention because of her sinless condition and that that is the source then of Jesus, sinlessness. That is not biblical. It is not true. Hmm. Is it what is in Mary that brings God's favor? Answer, no. It's not. It's not. And her own words, as we finish our study today, will prove it. It is not Mary's righteousness that draws uh, God's attention to her. It is God's righteousness and goodness and grace. Okay? Look at the word favor. In both of these sentences, the word favor is the, the word Charis. You know what that means? Grace. It's, it's, it's translated overwhelmingly in the New Testament as grace or unmerited favor. It is a sovereignly bestowed favor or grace. And so there's something in Mary of this surprise that she would be the recipient of such lavish choice and grace of God. And we share the same thing. Why did he save me? Who am I? That should be every Christian's question. Because at the end of the day, it's not what he saw in me that drew his attention to me. It's what we see in him. His worthiness. His goodness. That would love the unlovely. That would be moved to the lowly. The weak. The broken. It's so important that we see this, otherwise the entire Christmas story will 
shift attention from the focal point, who is Jesus, over to Mary, such that people would even pray to Mary. She would rebuke you if she was here. Don't ever bow to me. You bow to the Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I am only his mother because of charis, grace, the favor of God. Now, here's a few things that the angel says to her. Verse 31, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow. Look at all of this. And just, again, you're trying to process this. If you're sitting down, probably, Mary's sitting down at this point, you're like, okay, go, I'm ready. And then he begins to say these things. You're going to conceive in your womb. Okay, now, I'm convinced that there's some wording here that somehow we can't feel or see as clearly as she did because she seemed to be convinced that this conception would take place as a virgin, that she would, as a virgin, conceive in her womb. She's just convinced that this is the case, and I think we see that in her response in a minute. And when you conceive in your womb, you're going to bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Literally, Jesus, in Matthew 1 we read, the meaning of his name is, he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek form of Yeshua or Joshua, which means God saves. Call his name Jesus. Can you imagine all of the lights that would be going on for Mary? She's aware of the Old Testament. She's learned some of these things. He will be great and called Son of the Most High. Well, how is that possible? The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. The throne of David will be my sons? And then he says this, oh, and, and he'll reign forever. To his kingdom there will be no end. This is incredible. This language would have been setting off all kinds of flags and alarms of Old Testament fulfillment. In fact, in this day, every baby boy who was born, the question was, was raised, could this be the one? Could this be the one, the promised Messiah, the one that the Lord would send to deliver Israel? Could it be this child? This would have been familiar for Mary, even at a young age. And now here she is, and all of these words seem to answer the question, yes, this is the one. After silence for 400 years, you are the mother of the Messiah. Wow. An incredible thing to process. I don't know how much time elapses as you imagine Mary. Just go to, give, me, give me one second, okay? Wow. Okay. Now, keep going. Next, you know, how does that go? I don't even know how you could receive this kind of data and process it. Hmm. Now, miraculous conception. Look at verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, that question can catch people 
as an expression of doubt. Like we saw last week. Zechariah was basically like, how is it that I'm going to believe you? What, what are you going to do to show me? How, kind of like prove it. Because we're old. And, and, and my wife is advanced in years. Right? Um, that was an expression of unbelief. What Mary says here, I'm confident is not because of the verses later on that show that it isn't. So I think in this, she is expressing a confidence in the, the word of the Lord, but the question really is a function. How am I going to get pregnant while I'm a virgin? I'm not, I'm not knowing a man. Literally, that's what it means. It's since I know no man, how will this be? You see that? It's not an expression of doubt or unbelief. It's, I need some clarity. What am I to do? Right? What's, what's the next step? Hmm. The angel responds, verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And, behold... Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Okay, this is a Trinitarian moment. Note this. Here's the third member of the Godhead. He is coming upon Mary. And the power of the Most High. Who is that? That is the Father. God the Father will overshadow you. So the Spirit is here, the Father is here, and the child. This is the incarnation. This is the, 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 the coming down of the second member of the Godhead to take on human flesh. The child will be born, is going to be called holy. The overshadowing of the Most High. This conception was miraculous. That's why the, the Son of God is a right title for Jesus. He is, in that sense, truly God and truly man. This is an amazing thing. It is a miracle. And as if to just kind of prove his case that this is going to happen, he says, and by the way, you know, Elizabeth... They, they knew one another, apparently, even though they lived some distance from one another. She's six months along. This would have blown Mary away. Incredible. Nothing will be impossible with God. This is an important part of our faith, my friends. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ. It is critically important. And I'll tell you why. Because any other form of conception of Jesus that came from any man on the face of this earth would have given Jesus a sin nature. He would have been a son of Adam in that sense, uh, a son who carried on the curse from the fall and all of the passing of original sin, just like all of us here in this room know a sin nature. It's instinctual for us. This is not true of Jesus. That is why he is called holy. The temptation that Jesus faced in his earthly ministry was always and only exterior to him. It came from outside toward him to tempt. But 
different in, in, in our experience. The temptation we face is outside in and inside out because we are fallen. We have a sin nature. Jesus was truly holy, Son of God. The question now begs, what will Mary say? What is her response going to be? And we just pause here because remember last week, you just want to say, don't respond like Zechariah. You see the parallel Luke is giving us? He wants us to see these, these stories, compare and contrast. Is she going to stumble like he did? Listen to what she says. Verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What a beautiful response. This is a response of submission, a response of, of obedience, a response of the taking on of, of a mantle of significant challenge that she did not choose but God chose and she says let's go I'm in I submit I accept I trust I believe Mary is an amazing woman an incredible young woman by grace given this gift now verses 39 to 45 confirmation and celebration let me just ask these questions here before we read these verses. Um, so the angel departs, okay? The room gets a little darker. And you're Mary. You're, you're sitting there. No one else witnessed this. J this is just you and Gabriel, the word of the Lord. What do you do now? Um, who are you going to share this with? Here's the first person I'm thinking, Joseph. And then you're like, eh, no. Yeah, probably not. I think we'll wait on that. Um, then you're like, well, maybe my parents. It, uh, I don't know. How does that go? Well, here's the deal. I know I'm betrothed, but I'm going to get pregnant um, by God, by the Holy Spirit. This is what the, the yeah, right. Like, this is a tough and, and challenging, really lonely situation she finds herself in. If Southwest Airlines was filming a commercial, this is the need-to-get-away moment, right? It's Mary, need-to-get-away. Here's what you do. Go on vacation, okay? Take a trip, road trip. Here's what she does. In those days, Mary arose, verse 39, and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. Look at the, the distance that Mary set out. First of all, you are alone. You are a young teenager, you have just witnessed an angel visit and say you're going to be pregnant. Now, what is the timeline for this? I don't know. But there's not a lot of delay, I don't, I don't imagine. I mean, th this happened fairly quickly. So she arose with haste, and she starts heading for Elizabeth and Zechariah's house. 80 to 100 miles south, on foot, okay? No trains or planes or automobiles. This is a trek. She's poor. Somehow she has provisions enough. It would have taken four to five days to make this trip on foot. This would have been the, the primary trade route. You go uh, toward uh, the Jordan River, then across on this side all the way down, then up through Jericho, 
and through Jerusalem, and this is a huge climb down uh, up through here, and then into the hill country of Judea. Now, we're not told the name of the city, but here's the thing. Here is Bethlehem. It's, it's right here. So it, it was near Bethlehem. And I think if it would have been in Bethlehem, maybe we would have seen the, the name. There's, there's not any specific village given. But it's in a very challenging environment. I mean, you go hiking around some of the stuff we saw as we drove through that area. It's fairly barren. The farther south you go, the fewer plants you have, the less water there is. And here's Mary, pregnant, 100-mile journey, on her own, going on vacation. Mary's amazing. She, she had tremendous courage to do this. Now, the question on the way down will certainly be, what will Elizabeth say? Will she believe me? Uh, this is uh, someone that Mary knew, and I, whether they were close or not, we don't know. In fact, we don't even know what nature the relationship is. Uh, it says a relative of Mary. Their ages are quite far apart, and so we can only guess uh, if this was you know, an aunt or a great aunt or something like that. I don't know. But she's coming down, and the question is begging, how will Elizabeth respond when she steps in the door and says, it's Mary! Okay, now let's pick up the text. Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, verse 41. The baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord jab right to Zechariah you could just see that that exchange by the way blessed is he who believed what was spoken to her from the Lord <laughs> he, still, he can't talk still right what an amazing exchange this is the baby leaped in her womb this is in Elizabeth okay this is John the Baptist's first prophetic act he is in the womb. And what do we know about from last week? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Already in the womb, filled with the Holy Spirit. And he hears the sound of Mary's voice and from the womb leaps for joy inside of Elizabeth. Now, tell me that's just tissue. Huh? That's just tissue. To be discarded at will. That's silliness. That's not tissue. That's a person. That's a baby. Six months in the womb. The kind of insanity that takes place in our nation, the scourge on our nation that abortion has been, that anybody could in any honesty argue, oh, it's just tissue. It's, it's insanity. You do not have tissue leap for joy. That is inspired and inerrant. It's the word of God. The baby in her womb leaped for joy. 
John the Baptist begins his work. This is great. Why is John the Baptist so great? His greatness is all connected to the greatness of the one to whom he prepares the way for. And here he begins his work. Prepare the way for the Lord, Savior of the world. And Elizabeth is overwhelmed. She's filled with the Spirit, and and she describes this to Mary. This is an amazing welcome. She is completely amazed at this response, and they both are just like, wow, you're pregnant, you're pregnant, you're old, you're young, you have a husband, you don't. I mean, all of this stuff, they just, and Zechariah's over there, you know? Oh, what a scene it would have been. Celebration, confirmation, the word of the Lord. Not condemnation. Now that will come. That will come. We know, based upon what we've uh, seen, even in the ministry of Jesus, that this haunted Mary, and especially Jesus. The, the Pharisees, for example. Well, we know that Abraham is our father, but uh, who's your father? Oh, wait, that's right. Oh, you're a mamzer. You, you were born out of wedlock. That's right, Jesus. All of the scandal of this is about to crash down, but for now we've got three months of celebration. We've got community here. We've got like-mindedness. We've got joy. And so they share this journey together for three months. And I don't know, there's not any details given. If it's six months in and she waits three months before she returns, maybe she was there to help with the birth of John the Baptist. I I don't know. Um, But in any case, it's a a celebration. I want to point one thing out. Uh, The first Reference to Jesus as Lord comes from Elizabeth. Look at this. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord, the mother of my Lord, should come to me? She says this under the inspiration of the Spirit. In a, in a, in a moment of prophetic fulfillment, she speaks these words to Mary. Hmm. Who treasures them up in her heart. She did believe. In faith, she trusted the word of the Lord that came to her from the angel Gabriel. And she was blessed because of it. Blessed is she who believed. Wow. Now, how will Mary respond? What is, what is in her heart? I just want to ask a few questions about this when you think about the challenges that she's going to face upon her return to Nazareth, the small town. She is betrothed. What is Joseph going to say? What are the townspeople going to say? What are my parents going to say? How is this going to work? Where am I going to go? Will I be cast out of the community of faith in Nazareth? Treated as a harlot. There would be a thousand reasons for Mary to worry There would be a thousand reasons for her to be inward and saying, oh, man, this is going to be so hard. Just pregnancy alone, ladies. uh, That's enough to scare you to death, right? The the challenges and uncertainties of pregnancy. 
the sovereign hand of the Lord is over it all. And it's not easy. It's tough. Listen to Mary's song. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. As she looks at Elizabeth, who is old, and then considers that she is uh, you know, in her mid-teens. From generation to generation, mercy. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. There are so many things on display in these verses. I just made a list. But her focus is totally on who God is and what He's done. I mean, just look at this list. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, that is to glorify, to magnify. Think not microscope, but telescope. Okay, she's wanting to draw our attention to how big he is, not how small he is. He doesn't need to be enlarged. Our eye needs to be uh, enlarged to capture how vast his glory is. I magnify him, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Someone asked the question uh, of the uh, Westminster Catechism. The chief end of man is what? to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Where did that come from? Where did it originate? Right here. My soul magnifies, glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices. I enjoy Him forever. What an awesome thing. God's salvation. He looked on the humble estate of His servant. All generations will call me blessed, not because of some inherent value or uh, favor that she drew God's attention, but because of His great favor, unmerited and free, that He lavished upon her, she is now looked upon as blessed of the Lord. Why? It's a humble estate that was hers. Not a lofty estate. She acknowledges her weakness, her humility before the Lord. He who is mighty, the power of God, has done great things Holy is His name, the holiness of God. His mercy, He's shown strength and scattered the proud. His justice, His grace, and His sovereignty, His redemptive plan, all of these things and many more ring out. The overarching theme of this is the sovereignty of God. Look at what He can do. The plan of old is being brought to pass at the perfect time as God ordained it would be. So, our response this morning. Four things that, that just stood out to me as we think about these verses and consider them together. The first is this, God's absolute sovereignty. I love this line. 
For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, some of the things that y'all are, are dealing with and going through, be it medical situations or family dynamics or situations or challenges with uh, jobs and, and uh, all kinds of issues. Life is difficult. But who is sovereign over it all? God is. And he is bringing it to himself. It's like he's in front of history and he has history and he just pulls it to him. Every single detail. He pulls history to himself. Every single pine needle that falls from the tree guided by the hand of God to rest where it is. That is the degree to which he is Lord over all. So we find comfort in this. Nothing is impossible for this God. There's no situation that you will face this week that is too much for Him. No prayer that you could pray where He would say, whoa, I did not anticipate that request. Can't help you there. It's just too much. Hmm. Infinite resource. Leveraged for His glory and for our good. Number two, the blessing of believing. Zechariah was blessed. He was blessed. He was given favor in a similar way by God, not because of who he was, but because of who God is and, and the favor that was shown. But, but he wasn't enjoying the same experience of blessing that Mary was. And Luke wants us to see this. His joy had to be restrained. Why? Because he couldn't speak. He couldn't sing the song of Mary, though he wanted to in part because God was teaching him a lesson. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Come what may. Trust me. There's a blessing in believing. Trust the word of the Lord. Hmm. That means it's where we're at. Number three, worry or worship. This is a common battle, is it not? Anybody out there, worriers? just prone to anxiety, worry. You know, the irony is that I was having a hard time sleeping last night because I was worried. I just couldn't stop thinking about stuff and the stuff I got to do and this, that, and the other. And I'm getting ready to preach on this. And, and I'm just reminded about how God is up there like, hey, I'm preparing you to preach on this by having you wrestle to do what Mary did. A thousand reasons for her to worry. And what did she do? Worship. So often when we draw our attention to the greatness of God and hold our problems out to Him, they get a lot smaller when you see how big He is. So magnify the Lord and cease from worry. Mm. Be anxious for nothing. That's the command. Wow! That's not easy. It takes work. Number four, all of this should be drawing our attention to Jesus. He is the focal point of our faith. He is, he is the epicenter of the whole account. The, the focus of this whole story is Jesus. This child inside of Mary, the Son of God. It's all about Jesus. John's mission is to point to Him. And so is ours. 
That's our mission. Point to Him. Prepare the way of the Lord because He went to prepare a place for us and, and, and He's coming back to take us to Himself. And all who believe and look to Him in faith and trust Him, repenting of their sins and, and throwing themselves completely on His mercy, they will be taken to His heavenly home and they will live happily ever after. Wow. Let's pray. Lord, we draw our attention to our Savior Jesus. We think of this incredible word that we have seen today, the detail, the, the display of response that honors You and the glory that we behold of You. We thank You for who You are, Lord. We thank You for the, the Trinitarian glory that is operating in this text from Father to Son to Spirit. Oh, God, we worship You. And we thank You for this woman, Mary. We thank You for the example of her faith. We, we thank You for her courage to take on an assignment that You bestowed upon her in grace to bless her with this great weight to carry and challenge and yet in the, in the end pierced her soul as Jesus was crucified. And then the rejoicing of the resurrection. And Father, I'm quite sure that Mary is with You now in Your presence in the fullness of joy, in awe of her Son, Your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Good Shepherd Community Church, may you go this week like Mary, filled with a vision of a great God, an all-glorious God. And may it change the way that you see the challenges of your week. Walking in faith, walking in joy, singing a song. Amen? Go in peace.